Good morning and Happy New Year. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, although I'll be brief, I'm just here to really kind of uh, introduce who will be sharing with us this morning. Uh, his name is Chris Marchand. Uh, he is a, a Metamora, um, uh, born and raised, I believe. And I think he graduated in 99, uh, I think. So some of you may know him uh, if you're connected to the high school. Uh, he moved away from Peoria for a while and has come back. He's been, been here about 10 years. Uh, he's married, has uh, four kids, and uh, he is currently an Anglican um, priest uh, here in Peoria at Epiphany Anglican. And uh, he wrote a book uh, last year, I think it came out right before Christmas last year, called The 12 Days of Christmas. And um, I made a note last year, hey, we should have him share uh, with us at Metamore Midnight uh, about his research, about um, just the 12 days of Christmas and how to really look at the season between Christmas Eve and Epiphany. And this is the Epiphany Sunday because Epiphany is actually coming up this week, I believe in January 6th. So I thought it'd be great to have him share a little bit about um, what he um, has studied, what he knows, and how we can better celebrate the season. So uh, yeah, we'll have a, um, some copies of the 12 Days of Christmas available in our library. So if you'd want to come by anytime throughout the week to check that out, uh, please do so. And uh, yes, so I'm excited to introduce to you, or you may already know, uh, Chris Marchand. So here you go. Hello there. It's good to be with you. My name is Chris Marchand. And uh, I'm not sure all that uh, Eric has told you, but uh, maybe some of you recognize me. I, I grew up in Metamora and uh, graduated from Metamora High School in 1999. And so I'm, I'm assuming there's a, a few of you that, that know me. Uh, I, I did a lot of great stuff with Mr. Danner back in the day. And he was my teacher. <clears throat> and I helped serve with him uh, with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and, and uh, so I, I look back on my days at Metamore High School with a lot of fondness, and uh, so it's it's an honor to, to be able to be with you here today, and to be able to speak, and uh, to deliver some things that I've learned over the years, and uh, currently, just so you know, some context about myself, I serve at Epiphany, which is an Anglican church here in uh, in Peoria. And my wife and I have lived here now for uh, 10 years. Uh, we, I went off to seminary uh, in 2006, got married in 2006. And so I'm married to Alyssa, and we have four kids, uh, uh, three boys and a, and a girl, ages uh, 12 on down to two and a half or so. So, yeah, life is full. There's a lot going on in my own life. And uh, my wife and I have been on our, our own journey over the years, which would be a whole other message unto itself. Today, though, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you about the 12 days of Christmas. And before I do that, what, what, I, what I realize is I'm going to go over some, some of the things that regard what the 12 days of, of Christmas look like. And so, and then I'm going to tie that in with Epiphany, which is what we're celebrating today, the Feast of Epiphany. So what, what I realize is that uh, there might be a number of questions that arise. You might think, oh, hey, hey, what about what about that one point? <laughs> so if that's you, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Eric and say, hey, I have I have some questions for, for that uh, that weird Anglican guy that you had uh, you had preach a couple weeks ago, and uh, I would love to pop back on here, you know, kind of do a Q and a, a question and answer about the twelve days of Christmas, about Epiphany. 
uh, by all means, I would love to do that and could send the videos Eric's way and he could post them somehow, maybe put them up on another Sunday or whatever, however you would want to use them. But all of which to say is I'm happy to answer your questions, anything that you have to, uh, to ask me. So uh, again, talking about the 12 days of Christmas, and then we're going to get into what is the, the Feast of, of Epiphany. So the 12 days of Christmas is this weird concept that for, for many of us it would be considered in, in some ways just this archaic practice that we know nothing about. I would say that about myself. Uh, I came into the Anglican Church, the Church of England, and, and come to find out that there are some people that do some semblance of the 12 days. It's totally foreign to me. Didn't I didn't see it put in, into practice. Uh, a few years ago, I was listening to a podcast interview with a, a church leader in the Anglican world. It was, he was a bishop, and I he was talking about the 12 days. And not only did he go into the history of the 12 days, but he went into, here are all these different practices that you can, you can attempt to do with your family or your church. And my interest was just piqued. I was just like, what? What is this? I, I, I was so interested in it that I was like, I had to know more. This, it was not good enough. He had just kind of given me the tip of the iceberg. And so that led me to thinking, hey, I think there's a book in this. There's enough information here that I can give out to other people. And so I put it together. Yeah, and it took, took me a long time. It took me a couple of years to, to not just write it, but to get it all prepared and get out there. I eventually found a publisher and I brought it out into the world. And my hope is that people will grasp onto it and think, yeah, not only do I want to know about the history, more about the history of, of Christmas, I want to know what, what I can do. Like, what does celebrating look like? How can my, my celebrations change a bit? What can I shift? What can I, what can I do to both draw back into the past and think, yeah, this is, what, this is what Christmas used to be, but also to think, what can Christmas become? So uh, my research took me in all kinds of directions. I, I ended up answering all of these questions uh, that I had been asking myself over the years. I'll give you a few. Uh, why did they des decide on December 25th as Christmas Day? That's one of the main things that I wanted to answer. Uh, does Christmas really have pagan origins? Is, what's, what's the deal with that whole pagan thing? You know, you, you, hear, you hear people going back and forth. Well, you know it's just a pagan holiday. And I wanted to uncover that. I wanted to get to the bottom of that. I wanted to know more about St. Nicholas and Santa Claus and all of the different Santa Claus figures that exist all, all around the world. I mean, there's many. And, and so I, I, got, I get into that in my book. And I also wanted to discuss... Well, where did the 12 Days of Christmas song come from? And uh, this is a love-hate type of relationship uh, that people have with this 12 Days of Christmas song. Some people think it's fun, and some people would rather never, ever sing it again. And so I, I get to the bottom of where that, that song came from. But the bulk of my book goes into what are the 12 Days of Christmas. And, uh, and so then I, I, I go into, I break down the 12 Days themselves, a little bit of the history of each of those days. And then the second half of all of my chapters says, okay, so here's what you can do. Here's some ideas. Uh, there's, a, there's a graphic uh, that can be put up uh, that goes through each of the 12 days. So what we have is December 24th, 25th is the first day of Christmas. Really, we call day one of Christmas is December 25th. Okay, and the reason that I add the 24th is because depending on how you view 
uh, when days begin and end. And if you take the older, the, the Jewish concept of days beginning at sundown, like many people see the Sabbath as beginning on Friday evening when the sun goes down, that Christmas actually begins on the evening, Christmas Eve of December 24th. But really what we say is the first day of Christmas is December 25th. So that's day one. And then day two would be the 26th. Day three would be uh, the, the, the 27th. And then all the way up, all the way up to January 5th. And, and uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this, but there's this, it's a, a, they call it 12th night. So January 5th, the evening of January 5th would be 12th night. And that all culminates in January 6th with uh, the Feast of the Epiphany. <clears throat> um, and some of the days that we missed in there that I didn't go over, some of them are different saints' days. And so depending on our tradition, some of us uh, don't exactly have any saints' days. Uh, but if you get into more of the, the Roman Catholic, Anglican, uh, Eastern Orthodox traditions, they, put, they place a heavy emphasis on, on the saints. Um, now, I'm, I'm enough of a Protestant myself where I see us all as saints. We are the saints. Um, at the same time, what I love about the saints' days is they help us to reflect on the life and the work of individual uh, members, individual people in Scripture or throughout church history. So, for example... December 26th is St. Stephen's Day. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Good King Wenceslas. Uh, the opening line goes, Good King Wenceslas looked down on the feast of Stephen. Hopefully you filled in the blank with Stephen there. Now as a kid, that didn't register. I didn't have any sense of the feast of St. Stephen. But what, what happens there on St. Stephen's Day is we look back on Stephen, who is one of the first deacons uh, the first early church leaders, when they raised up and anointed the deacons to serve those who have need in the community. And then, so Stephen is not only one of the first deacons, but he's also known as a proto-martyr. So he, he was the first one to be martyred for, for the faith. And we look back on, on his life and we can, we, we can reflect, oh, who is this Stephen that we can, uh, we can learn from his life? And uh, so there's more reflection to be made there. And then what we have on December 27th is St. John's Day, St. The, John the Apostle, a writer of, of the, the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation. So we remember him. We remember him as a, as a witness for Christ. Now, what I realized in writing my book is that not everybody's going to really dwell on the individual saints. So really... If I'm going to narrow down what the 12 days of Christmas are about and how we can begin to think about celebrating them, it's this. How do we enter into the narrative of Christ's birth? When I first became Anglican and I started learning about some of the older traditions of the church, I absolutely loved the season of Advent. And so I, I was uh, really happy to hear about some of the Advent studies you had been doing, uh, this, this image of being on the road with Christ. And, and uh, maybe you've even talked about the wise men already, which we're going to talk about today. This, this understanding that we journey with Christ, we're journeying through scriptures. And so I loved Advent when I first became uh, into this more ancient tradition than I was used to. It was so beautiful to me. There's this longing in Advent, and we find ourselves with the Old Testament prophets. We find ourselves with Mary and Joseph leading up to Christ's birth. But then Christmas came, and I don't know. I, I, it was just Christmas Day. 
And what I became to real, what I came to realize in, in looking at the 12 days of Christmas is we get this opportunity to spread out Christ's coming. So it isn't just this one instance. We don't, we don't have to cram uh, Christ's birth and the visitation of the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and his circumcision and all this, all this into to one event. Instead, we space it out. It becomes kind of like a mini-series on television. We, we get to, to enter into it one little episode at a time. So what you find, uh, I've already mentioned the 26th and the 27th, but on the 28th is the Feast of the Holy Innocents, which is a commemoration of when Herod sought to kill Christ and instead killed all the male children of a certain age in, in the, the village of Bethlehem. And so we have, we have here this moment where we've had Christ's birth on the 25th, but then on the 28th, on the fourth day, if I, if I can count right, we have this, this event, this tragedy. And that's going to play a little bit into what I'm going to talk today on the Feast of Epiphany, which is this tension. There's this tension in Christ's birth between the powers that be in our world and this humble child that was born that dismantles all the, the, the powers of the world around us even though the world still grasps for it, even so much as to take the lives of innocent children. And so we call that the Feast of the Holy Innocents. It's on December 28th. Then there's, some, there's a little bit of space there. But on January 1st, we have Feast of the Holy Name, or it's often called Feast of the Circumcision. This is eight days after Christ was born. So you see, so see how we're in this narrative here? Eight days after Christ was born, we have his circumcision and his naming. And we go, we, we, are, we are there where, where he receives his name and he's circumcised according to Jewish law. And then finally, on January 6th, we have the Feast of Epiphany. So I, I love this. I love this about uh, the entering into the 12 days. Not only are there a lot of great ancient practices, and when I say ancient, I, I'm really probably more meaning a kind of medieval Renaissance uh, Reformation type of uh, traditions. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we, we look at our, our Christmas tree traditions, if we do that, and really those are really only a couple of hundred years old, though some people think that the Christmas tree traditions reach all the way back into to Martin Luther's uh, Reformation era. People aren't sure. And this is really the problem with traditions, is we look back on them and we go, huh, not really sure where this came from and and history is this confusing web sometime and so sometimes and so I definitely want and, and I went into this in my book where I want to reach back and I want to look at the amazing traditions that are out there and what are what, what's been given to us what's our heritage but but even more so I want us to consider what can we do now? How can we help bring new life into Christmas? How can we get beyond this uh, crass commercialization that we, we, are, we are often so exposed to and we lament it? We're like, oh, Christmas, oh, it's this, it's this fast-paced holiday where we're, we're, we are barraged with all the things that we should buy. Uh, we're given this hectic schedule. In, but instead, how can we draw back? How can we find ourselves in a place of adoration, of worship, of even of resting. I want us to consider that. That's what I. That's so. That's that's a lot of what I try to get into. So let's let's talk as we get into Epiphany today. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the things that I I, I mention in my book about what you can do for Epiphany. 
here's what's funny about Epiphany. So we have Santa Claus, right? He's the gift bringer. But who are those that actually are the first gift bringers uh, to Christ? And it's, it's the Magi. It's the wise men. They're the ones. So it's kind of interesting that if you look back, there are some countries, some ethnicities that they'll make the wise men the gift bringers. So that would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, what if in our churches we had this grand epiphany festival? We had it in our, in our church buildings. Now, no one's really throwing festivals these days with all the, with, uh, the COVID pandemic going on. We're not doing these mass public gatherings, social gatherings. Nonetheless, what if we threw a grand party on the Feast of Epiphany? And our party was focused on how Christ is the light of the world. And in the wise men, in the magi, is this proclamation that the light of Christ just wasn't just for Israel, but was for the whole world. And so we throw a party to rejoice in that. And uh, there's all these different uh, you know, games you can play for Epiphany. You can throw a festival with kind of carnival games. You can uh, have an Epiphany cake, uh, a Twelfth Night cake, which is really fun. Uh, one of the fun traditions that shows up throughout the Christmas season and isn't just for Twelfth Night, but I have seen it the most with Twelfth Night, which is you bake a big cake and inside the cake you hide a bean or a coin or something that people will, it's, it may be hopefully a, a bean's kind of tricky because uh, you might swallow it, but uh, something that would be noticeable and whoever finds the cake, you know, you slice it up and you would have to choose whether you do this for children or for adults as well. Maybe you make it, maybe you make the cake, give a, the adults their own cake because they're going to feel left out if this is only for kids. Uh, but whoever finds the bean, or sometimes people, I know this might sound a little bit crazy and morbid, but some people even put a little a figurine of a baby in there. You find the baby, you find the Christ child. If you do that, then you become the king or the queen of, of, the, of the Epiphany Festival. You get to put on a crown or maybe wear a robe, or you get certain privileges, or you win a prize of some kind. Uh, and, and, and so the reason that I think this is a, a compelling idea is it invites people in our community into the festival itself. And it's not just about, okay, I give gifts to my family or, or we maybe have our smaller groups that we can give gifts to each other, but <clears throat> it becomes more of a festival that's just about the celebration itself. Uh, one of the great ideas that I heard, I've heard about Epiphany, which I have not done myself yet and I'd love to do it, is for people that buy natural Christmas trees, not the synthetic kind of course but for those of us that actually go out and get our own real christmas tree we we find a place out in the country where they allow big old fires and we make a big old bonfire of our christmas trees and of course you can put on other stuff as too because those christmas trees by the way typically will burn up really quickly they just light up the night uh, but but who doesn't lo love a, a huge bonfire in the middle of winter maybe some people won't, won't want to venture out into the bitter cold but i bet a huge communal bonfire would be a welcome relief um, in the midst of our uh, cold, cold and dark winter nights. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so have a have a throw a bonfire as a church. That would be another idea. You know, have your maybe have your Epiphany festival, and then it culminates in in the bonfire. So yeah, just those are some things that to think about and uh, ways to have fun in during uh, the season of of Christmas. 
but also a ways that invites others into it where they would want to journey along with us. So there you have it. What are we talking about today? We're at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and we are with the wise men. And here we have this initial tension. Do you feel the tension? Did you feel that when you, when you heard the scriptures read between Herod and the wise men? Who are we going to be in this story? And uh, I, I've titled this sermon, uh, Being a Pilgrim, Becoming a Pilgrim During Epiphany. I really like this concept of, of taking on a pilgrimage. I'd be curious uh, if I were with you today, if we were all with each other together, I, I'd try to engage a little bit with you. Uh, have you gone on your own pilgrimage before? I have a friend, he's a, a professor and a pastor in Indiana. Every year he takes a group of college students to, the, I think it's called the Camino, Camino del Rey, something like that. It's this uh, big, long pilgrimage walk in Spain takes them on it. I mean, it takes days for them to do it. And there's other pilgrimage walks. Uh, some of you, I'd be curious just to find out if any of you have ever been to the Holy Land. I personally have not. Uh, my senior pastor has. And it was this incredible experience for him. He went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where it is believed that where, where uh, Christ's body was, was laid uh, in, in the tomb. He uh, traveled to the, to the uh, wall, to the Wailing Wall. He, he went to some of the various places. He found it incredibly moving. I have known people who have gone to the Jordan River. They've been, they've been baptized there. That is a pilgrimage. Uh, and, and actually, if you look back in the early, early church, uh, there are some of the earliest church writings and even the earliest writings that we have regarding Christmas, which wasn't exactly a widely held practice in the early church. But uh, one of the earliest texts that we found is of, the, is of the diaries of this woman who traveled to the Holy Land and herself entered into the seasonal times of worship and prayer. And one of those was the season of Epiphany. Really, really profound for her. She was on a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is when we go from one place, from our normal place of dwelling, and we enter into a time of holiness, a time of reflection, and the journey itself becomes part of that experience for us. Now, this summer, I went on a bit of a pilgrimage with my family. I, I have a, a, we have a, a friends uh, of our family that they let us stay with us. They live on the coast in South Carolina, and so we got, we went swimming, and it was great for our, our, our family, great for our kids, but on the way back, we spent a night in the Smoky Mountains. And for me, this was a pilgrimage. This, this was right around Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. And then the holy of all holies was Dollywood. Have you all ever heard of Dollywood? This is, this is Dolly Parton Central, right? So this is a, a true pilgrimage for those of us that love Dolly Parton. And uh, you might laugh. I'm laughing at myself just because I think it's kind of funny. But there's something about it where... In my head, and I actually, I do, I, I, I am not even remotely joking, I do love Dolly Parton, I love her music, she's been an influence in my life, and I was thinking, she grew up in this place. This is where the music inside of her was birthed. Now, unfortunately, we decided because of COVID, eh, let's not go to Dollywood itself, uh, and so I didn't actually go to those places, but, but, 
the cabin that we stayed in was right in the, the valley in the, the small town area where she actually did grow up. So there's something about that to me. It's a bit silly, I know. But there was a part of me that was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing close <laughs> to the essence of Dolly Parton. Uh, that was a bit of a pilgrimage for me. I actually wish, you know, we have four kids. It was more about uh, entertaining the kids and you know, going on a hike through the National Forest there. Uh, but there's a part of me that I, I could have just spent days in Dollywood. Now, of course, it's really, really overly commercialized and kind of crass. Uh, think, you know, way more crass than every um, any Christmas is. It's kind of a crazy place if you've ever been. But there's some there's a lot of beauty there too. But I I, I put this image out to you and ask you this question: Where have you been a pilgrim? Where you've taken this journey where you're going to say, "Yes, I'm going to go from my normal everyday life." And go into a time where I, my, my very posture, my, the posture of my heart, the posture of my body changes. The wise men did this as they journeyed to Christ. Now, what kind of, what kind of pilgrims were, were the wise men? Uh, the wise men, by the way, uh, we could really get into them. They, they, uh, they're these mysterious figures. Who do we make them out to be? Well, we know, first of all, that they were Gentiles. They were not the chosen people of Israel. They were unnamed and unnumbered. Uh, <clears throat> church tradition has both named and numbered them. Uh, they have their, uh, their own uh, names. You can, you can look them up. I don't want to say them right off the top of my head. I'll get them wrong. I know one of them is Mel Melchior, Balthazar, and, uh, oh, third guy. Totally lost his name there. <laughs> but they're not numbered, so there's not exactly three of them, though that's what's, what it's come to be. Uh, we three kings of Orient are. Uh, they're mysterious in the sense of we don't exactly know where they came from. It could be uh, Arabia, that area and that peninsula down there. Uh, some people think around uh, Yemen. Uh, some people think that the gifts are a sign of where they might have come from, which is why Arabia would be there, would be one of the candidates. Another candidate is uh, the area of Persia. They, some people think they, they came from the, out of the Zoroastrian tradition. And uh, the, here, here's the problem. We don't know. But we do know that they're pilgrims, that they were coming to Christ to worship and pay homage. Uh, what else do we know about them? Some people, uh, it, it took a little while, but in church tradition, they eventually became uh, kings. But we don't know that they were kings. The, the term magi implies that they were religious leaders, that they were astrologers. I mean, think of the word magician. They were conjurers of some kind, but, but holy conjurers, not, not, uh, not the same kind of magician that we think of nowadays. These were religious leaders most likely, but maybe they were. Maybe they were of uh, royal heritage as well. We just don't know. Uh, some other speculations about the wise men is people don't know if they came to Mary, Joseph, Mary and Joseph, found their way to Christ. Was it days, weeks, months, or sometimes even years after Christ was born? Uh, we do need to make sure that even in the scripture itself that we separate Christ's birth from the visit of the Magi. It was not the same night, not even the same day. Most likely it was several months, uh, but we just don't know. There is mystery surrounding these, these, these men that visited. But here's what I want to draw out today. What kind of pilgrims were they? <clears throat> First of all, uh, to the point is there is a big separation between 
First of all, there is a big separation between Herod and the wise men. Herod was grasping for power. Herod heard about this news of, of this child and he kept it secret. He was deceptive. He said, please, please tell me. Tell me when you, when you find out about where he is and who he is, I, I really want to know. I want to pay him homage myself. But did he really? He wasn't, wasn't actually going to pay him homage. He was actually going to show him who was, who was really boss because this child, if he was the, the one chosen by God, was a true threat to his authority, to his position of power. The wise men, on the other hand, they come despite their, their life circumstances, despite what any kind of status that they might have had. They came and they humbled themselves. They actually, I would say, they entered into a room which they did not even belong in, in the room with Christ, with Mary and Joseph. They were not worthy of being there. And yet they came and they were welcomed. And so the good news of Epiphany, and it says that they were overwhelmed with joy. The good news of Epiphany is that all of us can come to Christ. All of us are welcomed. We are all humble pilgrims journeying on the road. And Christ is our destination. And it is a relief and it is overwhelming joy to know that we can be made a child of God. If you look at uh, the different scripture passages that surround the Feast of the Epiphany, you have Jeremiah and Isaiah speaking of the nations coming, that the, the light of Christ is lifted up among the nations. And in Ephesians, we see that uh, there's this mystery that's been revealed in Christ, the mystery of the ages, that in Christ, this a dividing wall of separation between the Gentiles and the Jews has been broken down and destroyed, and that in Christ we are all made one together to come to him. So my, my, my call, my, my message to you this morning is, may you be drawn into worship as a humble pilgrim, a place, may you find yourself in a place of overwhelming joy as you come and meet Christ, this epiphany. This, this feast, this, this may be a, a completely new holiday for you. It still feels new for me, even though I've been at this a little while. And so whatever that means for you, Whatever, whatever character you need to be, you need to place yourself in. Hopefully it's not Herod. <laughs> uh, I personally, boy, that would be horrifying. Yeah, I want to take on the Herod character this year. No, hopefully not. Uh, that might be really, really humbling. He, he met his end. Uh, not, not, it wasn't a, a happy end for him. But if you find yourself as one of the wise men, those coming from the outside, or you find yourself as Mary treasuring all the things in her heart that she had heard and seen, May this Feast of Epiphany be to you this year uh, a season, a time of wonder, a time of overwhelming joy. So thank you for uh, listening to me this morning. And again, if there's any feedback, any questions for me, I'd be happy to field those questions. Uh, blessings to you on this Epiphany. And uh, have, a, have a happy and merry Christmas and a new year. Blessings to you.